I always feel blessed to know someone like you who can, in fact, answer the burning questions in all of our minds um, and, and frankly, give us the tools for our next righteous battle. And that battle is election security. Welcome to a Plan for That podcast, where each week, co-hosts Aaron and Ryan will meet with progressive organizers, activists, and leaders. Together, we will educate, invigorate, and elevate the progressive movement. When we unite our voices, an army of progressives is possible. Boy, Ryan, I... I don't know what to say. After the news this week, I don't know if I'm more upset about the fact that during a pandemic where people are starving and literally dying, the Senate can't be bothered to lift its finger, or whether Joe Biden's newly elected inauguration is asking us for money. (laughs) Where do we turn? Where, Where do we look for somebody who understands the hell that we are all going through? This is largely unprecedented, I think. I, there's a whole lot of this that we just have not been through. I mean, uh, this this is my first election on the Democratic side, and, and I don't know how it always works here. But I'll tell you this. Every single incoming administration goes through things like this. There's always going to be bumps in the road. And I don't know why they're asking for money. It could just be a publicity stunt, trying to keep themselves in the news. It could be something where they're trying to combat the misinformation coming out of President Trump, and they're trying to recenter on the idea that he hasn't conceded the election yet, even though almost everybody around him has. So I, I think that there's there's a couple of different facets to this. I'm not discrediting anybody's anger with that. I'm not angry myself. I'm kind of apathetic to it, to be honest with you. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that you shouldn't be angry about it, but <laughs> myself... I'm angry about the Senate. Yes. No, it, it, look, Mitch McConnell's going to do what Mitch McConnell does. And and that's just completely throw everything overboard as far as norms and anything that resembles a functioning government. That's just what Mitch McConnell does. And I have my own feelings about whether or not we should have a body of government that can be completely held hostage by one elected member from one state in the union of 50. But I'm going to keep those to myself for now. The thing that I really want to get across is any Democrat that's crossing the aisle for this bill right now, because the reports today were that that it's a bipartisan bill. Any Democrat that crosses the aisle to make it harder for Democrats to get a legitimate bill passed should be thrown for the party. There's no reason that anyone should be crossing the aisle in a lame duck session with absolutely all the leverage that we could possibly have to cross the aisle and, and and convene with Mitch McConnell about this bill that he wants. If we are going to have any kind of bill, any kind of stimulus that goes through that doesn't involve direct payments to the American people during a pandemic, any kind of rental assistance, and it puts through liability protections for corporations and business owners, I want no part of it. Because if you're a business owner and you're not an essential business and you're forcing people to work in at work, you're not allowing them to work from home. You're not protecting their paycheck. You're not doing anything to help them to keep them safe. You're just doing it to preserve yourself and, and save money. I got a real problem with you. I got a real problem. And here's the thing, and, and it's primarily from restaurants that we're hearing this. These this the story this week that this Andinos, I think is the name of it, Andianos in Michigan, who comes out and writes a letter urging other restaurants and bars to to go against 
what the governor's orders were, which was to shut down and go takeout only, curbside only. These these things are there for a reason. And the number one duty of a restaurant, of a, any business really, but especially a restaurant, other than the, the food that they're serving and the service that they're providing and the drinks that they're serving with the food, other than the quality of those items, is the public health and safety risk that comes with owning and running a restaurant. And if you don't respect that, now look, I've worked at a lot of restaurants. The, the, my, the early part of my years in the workforce were spent in kitchens. I'm a cook. My dad was a chef. The, these, this is a part of my life. Food service and food safety have been a part of my life my entire life. It's insulting. It's insulting that, that these businesses would think that public health is something that we can just shirk for money. And I would never eat at one of those restaurants again because if they're willing to cut corners in a, in a deadly global pandemic, who knows where else they're cutting corners? And it goes the same for these other businesses. These other businesses that are willing to, to you know, prevent work, to, to keep worker protections off the table, that want liability protections, that want people to continue to come in and go to work and think that they don't deserve unemployment if they, if they get furloughed or if they're high risk and they don't deserve aid. The businesses that are fighting against that deserve none of our business. I'd like to see a government that starts to act more like a labor union for the American worker rather than a protection scheme for the American corporation. Because protect, the, the, corporations can look for themselves. Right? They can protect themselves. They have enough money and enough lawyers and enough uh, resources, enough power to protect themselves without the government helping them out. But you know who doesn't? The single mom who's working at Target and Walmart right now trying to make ends meet. Working third shift, working third shift security. She, she can't make ends meet. Who's protecting her? I am so glad that you brought that to the head because I literally said when I heard this news, especially about the corporate liability protections that the Republicans are trying to force the Democrats to agree to, which is why there is no deal. I literally thought, OK, so it's basically corporate sanctioned death. They don't care if you get sick. They don't care if somebody in your family, God forbid, loses his or her life. And what you just said, Ryan, leads me more and more to believe that the number one thing that is in our way, that is blocking progress, that is blocking progressive change, is 100% the lawmakers who are bought and paid for. Am I right? You're right. But it's not just them, right? We're up against a centuries-old system here. We're up against a, a built, structured system that prevents workers from being protected, that prevents the average citizen with no power from gaining power. And one of the reasons that, that I, and I know you and others, loved the, the Elizabeth Warren campaign was the idea of that big structural change, was the idea of, of eliminating that system and creating a system that works, not just, not just saying for everybody, because it's a blanket statement, it's easy to say, but specifically works for workers, that specifically works for the American workforce. Because you look around and you look at the, the, the groups that are, that are, they're not great, but there's some protections there. You look at teachers, right? Teachers have it bad. There's a lot of things that teachers have bad, but the fact that they can work from home right now and the fact that they can do distance learning and that they, they have a union there fighting for them to get distance learning. A good example is this, is I, I live in the Twin Cities and I work in a school district. I'm a coach. I coach speech and debate at a local district here. And that district had 
a policy in place where the teachers were forced to take sick time if they had to get a COVID test and were out for 14 days. The first day that that was announced, the union was out fighting for them, saying that that's not going to be the case. We don't want that. That's not something we want. And it's something that that I think is totally lacking in the American private sector. Look, there's a lot of reasons that unions have fallen off in membership. There's been a lot of union busting. My family was a victim of it. When my grandpa lost his job of 30 years as a security guard at Honeywell uh, and was had to be rehired by the new company that came in and, and busted the union, it, it was a sad day. And he lost a lot of benefits. And other people lost their benefits and jobs because they couldn't get hired by, by the new company. A lot of people were phased out due to age, and they downsized, and the security force wasn't what it was. And it's a constant struggle. Maintaining our rights, whether it's in the labor force or as a general citizen or as a group of people, whether it's our individual or collective rights, it's always a fight. It takes vigilance. It takes constance. It takes fidelity and, and always being always being there to fight that fight. And we haven't fought it for so long that we're going to lose. And we're going to lose because th- there's no one left to fight for us but us. Well, hang on. I want to give us all some hope if I can. Um, I saw Corey Bush, who is one of my new favorite pals on Twitter, saying today, and I know you saw it too, Ryan, and she, man, she really gives hope to the people who feel like you and I both who are frustrated. She has a quote that I will never forget. She says, it's good to have leaders who are, quote, close to the pain because she's right. Who is going to lift a finger for us if they're sipping, you know, crystal champagne in their mansion? Okay, we need people who are leaders who lead. And I say this on my personal Twitter all the time. You're probably tired of it. No, you're absolutely right. And and the next words out of my mouth, and I'm glad you mentioned hope, was that the hope is in the fight. Yes. It's my favorite phrase. It's the favorite, it's it's the thing that I always come back to is that as long as we're able to fight, there's hope. The point that I want to make, though, is that no one can fight for you better than you. And that means that if if you want worker protections, if you don't want liability protections for these corporations that are that are underpaying and overworking and overstretching and risking the lives of their workers, if you don't want that, you got to reach out to your representatives. You got to start calling. You got to start blowing up their email. You got to start getting your friends and family to do it. If they care about you, if you care about them, you got to start doing it. The hope is in the fight, but you've got to fight if you want hope. You've got to fight. And if, if we want to beat Mitch McConnell, and I do, I, I, I am desperate for a victory against Mitch McConnell because I don't like him. And I, I know you don't either. No, I, I, don't know a single, I don't know a single person who does. Most of Kentucky doesn't like him. Got reelected, but most of Kentucky doesn't like him. So it, there's a whole lot of people that want to beat this guy. The best way to do that is to call your representatives, call your senators, get on the horn, make sure that you've got groups of people calling, blowing up their phones, saying, we need help. We need help. And we need you to provide it. Because, I I mean, look, you look around, you see the the lines in Dallas and the other cities that have these long food, food shelf lines, these bread lines that you normally see in socialist countries. It just goes to show the economic model doesn't matter if there's not a competent government back there to make sure that everything's working okay. Yes. You can be a capitalist system. You can be a socialist system. It doesn't matter if your government doesn't work. And our government's not working right now. So we got we to start fighting for a government that works. 
You're exactly right. And the way we do that is by electing people who are close to the pain, electing people who will listen when we talk, and not people like Elizabeth Warren so awesomely stated, can't hear so well with the money that's jammed in their ears. So Ryan, I have a question for you. I was talking to a Georgian today because one of my favorite things to do when I feel hopeless is to get up and do something. So I'm volunteering for the Reverend Raphael Warnock campaign. And as I was talking to a Georgian who shall remain nameless, of course, the answer I got back was, no, I'm not giving you money. No, I'm not giving you my time. You all lost. Nobody managed the money correctly. We gave billions and billions of dollars to lose. I've had it, and I hope you win, but I'm out. Please, Ryan, I know I was polite when I responded to him, but could you respond to him? I, look, we haven't lost yet. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's the fourth quarter, man. We got a lot left. This the score is tied right now. You know, we didn't we weren't even down at halftime. If you're if you're cheering for Team Warnock, I mean, look, we were up at halftime. He was up with when when we were looking at going to a runoff. He was up on everybody. So clearly, I mean, at this point, you've got to think that you know it's a tight race, but he's the favorite. And if you're looking at John Ossoff, you've got a coin flip chance. So if we're going to go into the fourth quarter and thinking that we've already lost because we've already done so much and we haven't won yet. You're just not running through the line. You're not playing through the whistle. And if that's the case, then get on the sideline. We want people, we need people that are willing to be out there, that are willing to say, I have so much left in this fight to give. And if you're not willing to give 100%, if you think you've already given everything you got, that's fine. But if you've given everything you got, then you got to get out of the way for someone who's willing to do more. And at this point, look, there's a lot of people who are willing to do more. There's a lot of people who recognize that the dire situation that we're in if we don't win the Senate. There's a lot of people that look around and say that, you know, this is a hopeless fight and there's no way that we can do these things. But look, as long as we're fighting, as long as we're playing, as long as there's still a ball in the air, we got a chance. And we got to play. We got to play the game. We got to play every snap. We got to run our route. We got to, you know, man our block. We got to play our gap. Whatever your role is, you got to play it. So if you're a guy in Georgia, I assume you're probably a football fan. There are a lot of big football teams down there in Georgia. Listen to that. All right. Lower the pads. Get your head down. Drive your feet. It's time to put the work in because fourth quarter means that everybody's tired. If we're tired, if you think we're tired, Republicans are just as tired. They're just as ready to give up. You hear it on the news every day. They're just as ready to give up. They're saying the, the vote was rigged. They're thinking that the refs are against them at this point. They're blaming everybody else. They're blaming each other. Their coaches are fighting on the sideline. You got Trump and Barr fighting. No, we got to be united. We got to stand up and say, this is our fight. This is our time. This is our day. And we're going to win. And as long as we do that, as long as we stay together, as long as we don't you know, go off and, and say that we can't win this fight because we've already given X amount of dollars, we can't win this fight because we've already called X amount of people, we can't win this fight because we've knocked on X amount of doors, we're going to lose that fight every time. But you got to be able to knock one more door. you got to be able to make one more call. you got to be able to send one more text. you got to be able to give one more dollar, right? One more and one more and one more and one more until the fight is won. Yes, and until that happens, until that happens, until the, the until the, the last whistle hits, until the fat lady sings, until the opera is done, we got to keep going. You're exactly right. I hope he's listening. My reply was nowhere near as cool because it didn't have the sports references. I simply said, change isn't possible if we stop now. 
And that is the message. You got to keep going. Exactly what Ryan said. I'm super excited to welcome Jennifer Cohn to talk with Ryan and I about exactly how we safeguard our vote in Georgia. There are issues. The Republicans have made it so that there are some loopholes that we need to be aware of. And she's the person that has the info that is on fire at this moment. We're so happy to welcome her and stick with us. Just after a short break, we'll be joined by Jennifer Cohn. In the meantime, I really hope, and Ryan does too, that you will go to at a plan for that podcast and like and subscribe so that we can have more listeners, more fighters, and more soldiers in this army of progressives. We the people. Who are we? We are the folk that they call essential workers, but they don't pay them essential wages. We the people. Who are we? We are the folk who do not have lobbyists in Washington, D.C. And so when it comes time to provide funding for businesses, corporate elites find themselves at the front of the line, while small businesses find themselves at the back of the line. We the people. Who are we? We are the folk who were sheltering at home while Kelly Loeffler was busy sheltering her Wall Street investments. And come January 5th, we the people are going to stand up and send her back home. Let's stand together. Let's work together. Let's struggle together. And come January 5th, we the people will win again. God bless you. Good night. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the co-hosts on the podcast. I'm a progressive. I'm from the Twin Cities. I'm studying history at the University of Minnesota. It's on pause right now, but we'll get there. I believe strongly in a government that works for everybody, and I believe that we can get there if we work together. Ryan, I'm super excited to welcome Jennifer Cohn. She is an election integrity advocate, writer, and freelance journalist whose election integrity articles have appeared in the New York Review of Books, Who, What, Why?, the Young Turk Investigates, The Brad Blog, and Salon. Since the 2016 election, she has focused her professional efforts exclusively on investigating and exposing our country's insecure, computerized elections. A compilation of her written work and interviews can be found at protectourvotes.com. That's protectourvotes.com. She posts daily about election security via her Twitter account, at Jenny Cohn, J-E-N-N-Y-C-O-H-N-1, which has over 140,000 followers. People are super interested in this, Ryan, and that is a good thing to see. She graduated from the University of California, Los Angeles in 1989 and Hastings College of Law in 1993. She was a law partner at Nielsen Haley and Abbott in Marin County for many years, where she specialized in insurance coverage and civil appeals. Before that, she has specialized in criminal appellate law. If there is anyone that we need to talk to today to understand not only the pitfalls that we're facing with Republicans blocking the secure elections that we all need in this country for a working democracy, it's this woman. Not only does she have the experience, she's got the fire to bring to the situation. What do you think, Ryan? Well, look, I mean, we got to fight some fire with fire. So it's nice to have people like Jenny on our side who can uh, who can bring the fire and make sure that we can fight this fight till it's till it's done. And uh, you know, we, we got to make sure that these Georgia elections are secure. We got to make sure that all of our elections are secure. It's the most sacred right that we as Americans have. 
So we got to defend it. Absolutely. And I am super excited to do that. She has been on Twitter all day, really pointing out some very key things. Go for it, Jenny. Yes. Hi, Ron. Nice to meet you. So Nice to meet you, too. Today, one of my followers sent me a report that was posted for the first time today on the Secretary of State's website in Texas. So that's the top election official in Texas. And it's a report that was actually dated September 2020, so before the election. And it references a discovery that was made in August. I believe it was during a certification exam, but some sort of an examination of voting equipment supplied by America's largest voting machine vendor, which is ES&S, Election Systems and Software. And during that examination, they found what, what the report describes as a bug, that's their word, involving what's described as the hash verification script or hash verification process. And this is the process by which uh, county officials are supposed to be able, or, or state officials are supposed to be able to confirm that the equipment and software that they receive is what was actually certified by the state and by the election assistance commission so that they're not getting fraudulent software. And apparently there was a problem with this uh, hash verification process and it was basically showing that there, there was a match even if there wasn't. So I believe the implication being, and I want to say I am not a tech expert, but from my reading of it, it certainly appears that you could have fraudulent software and it wouldn't detect it. I believe there are were workarounds. So if they instructed county officials to do the workarounds, um, they may very well have found any problems if there were any. But what also really struck me is that this would not necessarily be limited just to Texas. It was impacting almost all, it appeared to me, of ESNS's voting equipment which includes their central count scanners, their very popular ES850, their uh, precinct scanners, the DS200, and their really popular ExpressVote and ExpressVote XL touchscreen voting machines. And these are used throughout the country. This was discovered only a few months before the election, and I think there's a lot more to this story. And this really should be an election security bomb. And I don't know how it actually didn't leak out before the election. It's my understanding that they actually did patch it with some kind of an update. And I don't know whether that was EAC certified, but I have serious doubts that it was patched throughout the country. And if it was, a very last second patch like that is a big concern and a big deal. I just want to ask if obviously the, the paper ballots are the way we want to go, but if we have to have electronic ballots, What's the best way to do it? Well, it depends to an extent on what you mean by electronic. Uh, if it's a paperless machine, meaning there's nothing comes out of the machine that the voter is supposed to review, then, well, we need to get rid of those for one thing. But the SAFE Act, which the Democratic Party passed in the Democratic-led House that the GOP killed, would have banned touchscreen machines that don't generate any kind of paper at all. It also, though, would have banned the new touchscreens that generate a piece of paper that election officials now call a paper ballot, which I think is misleading. It has a barcode or a QR code on it and some human readable text beneath it that is supposed to summarize your selections. But the barcode or QR code is the only part that's counted as your vote and studies show voters never actually review or very rarely review the text beneath it. Many studies have confirmed this. And so, um, 
what to do about that? Well, again, the SAFE Act is really the thing to do going forward. We that It would have banned that as well. It would have banned the, the barcode printouts. There needs to be a big education, though, I think, of the public because there has not been enough leverage to get election security legislation passed, and the GOP blocked it. And I think with all of the complaints now by the G- by Trump and QAnon about Dominion voting, some people, I think, are very naively thinking this will lead to election security legislation. And I I hope I'm wrong. I'm very skeptical that, that it will. I don't think that they are doing this in good faith. I, I don't see them calling for things like hand-marked paper ballots or robust manual audits for all elections. I, I see them just wanting to put one, one vendor out of business, which is Dominion voting, and being very careful to not say anything critical about ESNS, which has had many more um, you know, glaring security problems in the past decade and even in the past several years and much more glaring corruption. And yet they're very car- careful to seem to want to leave that vendor relatively unscathed. When they mention them at all, they try to pretend that, well, ESNS is really Dominion, so it's really Dominion, and, which is just not true. <laughs> they're separate companies, but they claim that Dominion bought ESNS. That was even in an expert declaration, and that's just false. Um, Dominion never bought ESNS. But there's something weird going on. So we need an education very much of the public so that the public tells their elected representatives what they want and so that election officials who make bad decisions are frankly shamed out of making those decisions. And I think that's the main thing. In the short run, as far as Georgia, they have the QR code type of printouts. I I think probably it makes sense to still to well to ask counties to to use hand marked paper ballots for this um, runoff election we're getting so close to it i don't know how realistic that is with a race that only has a few items on it i'm not as concerned as i am with the was with the general election i was very worried and still am worried about all those further down ballot races especially state legislative races i think would be very easy to have flipped or deleted without anybody noticing um, with a race that has just a few, maybe not. But I think we, do, we need to demand robust manual audits and um, ballot images being preserved and posted. Those are images that scanners take automatically of the paper with your votes on it as it runs through the scanner. And election officials need to start throughout the country preserving those and posting those because it improves transparency. I am so glad that you brought that up because it ties in perfectly to our previous episode, Ryan, doesn't it, with Golda, who told us about the possibility, no one said it happened, but the possibility of what is called a padded vote as well. Right. And that there are things that we can do if we do have these concerns, that we can request the data, that we can walk the precinct. Um, and, and short of, you know, getting that data in our hands, it's a little hard to do, isn't it? I, I think that's right. So for the, the vote padding, you, you need the data, you need to sort of know who, who voted on election day and then be able to, yeah, to walk the precincts, I guess. And it, unfortunately it was very, it's very difficult for an ordinary voter citizen to get that data before election results are certified. I think you can probably get it after campaigns probably can get it before uh, at least some campaigns can but yeah transparency is always the answer transparency is also the answer to avoid 
what's happening now with the QAnon crowd, which is the weaponizing of real vulnerabilities and mixing them with misinformation. So, I mean, suddenly today, apparently, there's this huge outrage that some about voting equipment connected to the Internet. Well, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, that's what (laughs) I was screaming about before the election. You wanted to address these things before the election, and the SAFE Act would have banned it, but the GOP blocked the SAFE Act, and everybody should know that. That should have been on every television network for the past year. Everyone should have known. When it gets really bad, after what, what happened with our 2016 election, the fact that the GOP blocked the SAFE Act is... It's beyond outrageous. It's despicable. It it certainly looks like they were hoping there would be interference and that they assumed that the interference would help them and would help Trump because, after all, we had Russia having planted malware in 2016. That's confirmed um, on voter registration systems. And we had voting machines in some places, the precinct scanners connecting to the Internet and you know, the GOP blocking the legislation that would have banned that for this election and banning uh, audits to confirm electronic results, that borders on treasonous to me. And the fact that it wasn't on the TV news every day has now allowed the GOP to play victim because nobody knows that that, that so few people even know about the internet connectivity. And they're only waking up to it now because the GOP is using it to pretend to be victims because trump didn't win so it's we need an educated populace to avoid being screwed both ways with these um on these issues and that's what i warned about before the election we needed education and we needed as much transparency as possible by which i mean the public being able to have confidence in the outcome not listening to chris krebs or anybody else tell us that there wasn't cheating because that's not persuasive to anybody who suspects cheating to have someone tell you no one cheated. It's really not persuasive, at least not anymore. And not anyone who figures out that that some of these machines actually do connect to the internet and that people in positions of influence lied to us about it. Anyone is going to be suspicious. So you have to show people, you you have to show them whether you have to do that in court for the court of public opinion, you have to show people. And that requires transparency and letting the public get the data and telling them what your processes are to confirm the results. And um, we need a lot more of that. And we need people to wake up to that because yes, you can either get screwed with somebody stealing an election when you don't have transparency, or you can get screwed with somebody falsely claiming that an election was rigged. And um, I was worried that the latter would happen. I frankly didn't really think it would, and, but I definitely mentioned it a number of times as a possibility why you need transparency. And sure enough, here we are. So it's um, it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. I know. I feel the same way that Ryan does as well. Ryan, um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think that what I said was right? The only reason we're sitting the way that we are up ticket is because of all of the millions and millions of paper ballots, Ryan? Right. I, I think that there's a lot to a lot to that. I, I think that the overwhelming numbers make it really hard to rig. And I also think that the thing that we should take from this is that nobody can take your vote from you if you go out and use it. The moral of the story, first of all, has to be you've got to register, you've got to do the work, you've got to get out and vote. But more than that, you know, yes, we need paper ballots. We really need paper ballots. But like Jenny's saying, we also need transparency. In a place where you have questions asked, rumors only grow. 
rumors and conspiracy are like mold. As long as there's darkness, it's going to, it's going to continue to spread. And until we can shed light on it, until we can really bring it to the light of day and dry it out and, and really make sure we know it in and out and we can see every part of it, it's going to continue to be a problem. So I, I think she's absolutely right when we say that when she says that we need transparency in these things, that the media needs to report these things. Absolutely. I also want to add in that I personally feel that there's a problem with Democratic Party messaging. This isn't the first time that we've been caught losing the narrative and trying to run, in my opinion, quote unquote, to catch up. I agree with that. The GOP, they are experts at narrative warfare, and the Democrats just have circles run around them. So right now, the only way that they're handling the points about the voting machines is to say this was the most secure election ever, which, you know, it's a low bar. Maybe it was, but it's a low bar. But without transparency, again, that's not going to be persuasive to anyone who learns things like we had voting machines connected to the internet. I mean, we needed to be the ones to tell everyone. The responsible people who were trying to stop it needed to be the ones to send out this message. And they needed talking points. You know, the SAFE Act, the only way that the Democrats messaged it was to say Russia, Russia, Russia. And it, I mean, look, I was concerned about Russia, too. That is a legitimate concern. These voting machines were connected to the Internet, and that would have been very persuasive because after 2016 or in the run-up to it, that was the one big assurance we were told by public officials that we didn't have to worry because voting machines don't connect to the Internet. So had they known that that wasn't true, the GOP would have looked really bad for blocking the legislation. But the Democrats didn't want to – they're not good with talking points. They didn't do talking points. They didn't – I mean, I tried to get Moda Mitch and Moda Marsha, Cell Tower Trump, um, trending, but, you know, I'm just one person. And, uh, yeah, they have a real problem. The Democrats have a real problem with messaging. So right now they're just trying to go with this was the most secure election ever. And it isn't just like QAnon people that are having concerns now about this election. It's reached to the extent there are um more middle-of-the-road Republicans, I just always think of, like, my in-laws. I mean, I don't talk about these issues with them because we just decide politics are off the table, but I imagine they have concerns. I mean, I think a lot of these polls are showing the majority of Republican voters now think that Biden cheated, and that's a tra- that's a tragedy. I don't know how we get that narrative back because we'll just look like we're on the defensive now since we, the, I, we needed to get out in front of it. And the more that we mislead by saying how secure it was when we know perfectly well that we didn't do the manual audits, which were the number one recommendation that experts have for this election. So the more that we say that, the more we lose our own credibility going forward. And we need to be, the Democrats need to be the credible party. I mean, certainly they're more credible than Trump and QAnon and the GOP, but um, we can't keep, the white lies are not going to work anymore. And I just think they're making a mistake. I say we're in a difficult spot. We're in a difficult spot because we have an election where we appear to have gotten Trump out of office. I suspect Russia did not interfere in the election, or at least not enough, or he would not, or Trump would have won. And so that may be what Chris Krebs means when he says it was secure that they didn't see internet activity from Russia or anywhere else successfully penetrating systems, but. Without the audits, it's just um, people are worried about domestic actors now, too, and they should be worried about domestic actors, corrupt insiders. Um, Of course, we should worry about that, too. But the Democrats never wanted to say that. So we're in a bad, bad spot. 
I hear you. Demand audits. Exactly. And I know that Ryan has a really, um, (laughs) a question that's on all of our minds um, about Lindsey Graham. Yes. So what I understand, interestingly, for the Senate, the two Senate races, that Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, those two in particular, but I think even possibly, Susan Collins may be different. I have a friend who analyzes exit polls and I mean and I think even a little bit pre-election polls and they I believe they all showed yeah that the Republicans would win those Senate races including the exit polls now the exit polls they keep shifting them to the right that's kind of they've become because they keep because the results keep being to the right of the exit polls meaning the GOP keeps doing better than exit polls which is a whole other can of worms but um they did even with they did sh- tend to show with that right word bias, that the outcomes are correct, although there was a red shift. So the Republicans did much better than predicted, but they were predicted to win. I don't know that that's the case with the House races. Um, It's a little harder to say there because the House races, I don't think they have exit polls, but they did have, I believe, some pre-election polls. And there were 17 toss-ups, if I recall correctly, about 17, of which the Republicans won all but one. And that is unexpected. I mean, I don't say things like it's statistically impossible. I I don't, I wouldn't say that. Um, But I think it it certainly is a red flag. And all of these races should have been manually audited with meaningful manual audits. So hopefully there's an opportunity here with Republican voters waking up to these concerns, but I'm not expecting Republican leaders to be to really want um, verified elections going forward. I just cannot imagine that they will go for that. Yes. And so because we're having technical issues with phones versus computers, I just want to let you know, Jenny, that Ryan is is so on board with what you're saying. And he wants to add that this is actually how we flip the narrative. This is our tiny little opening here. If we can demonstrate that Lindsey Graham did actually commit the fraud that he appears to have committed, i.e. calling the Secretary of State in Georgia to have votes tossed. Thrown out. Yep then we can call for investigations and we can get some credibility behind us uh, when we're talking about these problems. We can look at the right and say, you know what? There was fraud, but it wasn't Biden. It was you. (laughs) Well, certainly. I mean, I think that the sabotage of the United States Postal Service appeared to be surgically targeted to the battleground states, especially toward the end. And they knew that that would affect Democrats more. The delays would affect Democrats more because so many more Democrats were voting by mail this election. Not not traditionally. I don't think that was necessarily the case in a lot of places. Georgia used to be, I mean, it may have been a couple, two election cycles ago, but it was mostly Republicans who used to vote by mail in Georgia until, like I said, maybe the last four years. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's an opportunity to flip the script. I worry that if we don't have the Senate, we won't get the investigations that we want and that we're going to get the Senate conducting dog and pony show investigations. You know, they're very good at lying. I mean, that's the thing. Like, these Sidney Powell thing. I mean, again, I'm thinking to, like, my in-laws. They see someone who's a member of the bar. I mean, she says she's a lawyer. You don't expect a lawyer to brazenly lie. And people will read the expert affidavits that are submitted with her suits. And if you're not a lawyer, at least I wouldn't have without – I am a lawyer, by the way. I wouldn't have known this necessarily without legal training. But you don't get to just say things like ESNS 
was acquired by Dominion as an expert. I mean, that that would not be admitted into evidence unless the expert demonstrates that they have personal knowledge of that fact or it's established somewhere else. But throughout her declaration, her affidavits and her exhibits, there are just lies like that. And that is just, it is not true. Um, or at least they certainly haven't proven it. And I'd be shocked if it is true because that would have come out before now, but you need, you know, documentation to actually prove it. You don't, just because we have an opaque system is not an invitation to make it more opaque and confusing by lying. And it is shocking that a member of the bar is submitting so many affidavits which with so much false information. And I think it is fooling a lot of people. And the shocking thing is the GOP will do the same thing. And they will do that if they have control of the Senate. They will hold sham investigations and sham hearings. And there will always be a grain of truth to it. There are shady characters that Smartmatic in Venezuela is a legitimate concern. Some of us, including me, brought this up ages ago. Because Los Angeles County contracted with Smartmatic to build their system. Did the GOP care? No. Quite frankly, the Democrats said nothing either about that. No one should have been contracting with Smartmatic. But Smartmatic is also not Dominion. I mean, they, they owned Smartmatic. It, it's just, it's so, unfra- it's so, fra- it's, it is so difficult to keep up. They do the fire hose of falsehoods. And the more that you try to respond to it, the more it magnifies just the associations is all that they really want to put out there. So so even by responding to it, you're magnifying sort of what what should be really tenuous associations. You're making them appear more more significant than they were. And it is just, I don't know, if we don't have control of the Senate, I don't see us getting any traction on investigating anything. And one of the great tragedies of the Obama administration, although I will say, I I know he wanted a clean slate, he wanted to be forward-looking and unite the country, but I think we are really learning the hard lesson of a lack of accountability because we had a chance there, perhaps, at least during part of his term, to really investigate the Bush administration and had an appetite for it. And a lot of the corruption of our election system, system happened, I believe, you know, under the Bush administration when we first they first passed the Help America Vote Act um, in 2002 and put injected all this money in to buy these touchscreen voting machines. I guess I realize that Obama won twice, and we can talk about that sometime. But a lot of the corruption of our election system happened during then, and there there should have been investigations of Karl Rove, certainly, and the Iraq War, and and they just didn't do it. Absolutely. It just, and so, I yeah, I don't have a lot of hope that I think – I hope Biden wants to have accountability. I doubt he has an appetite for it, but we'll see. Well, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because (laughs) who knew, listeners, we invite her here to talk about election integrity and what we can do. And yet she's so smart and so experienced that she already knows where we're going next, which is my my key hashtag on every single thing I post. Hold them accountable. Because Jenny, am I right in thinking that if we just let things slide now, we're inviting more in the future. Yes. Yes. And I'm very worried about it with the election system because the response to lies that are in propaganda that Trump, QAnon, GOP is putting out about the election, they the Democrats are dumbly responding with what I think that maybe they don't even think it is a lie. It was the most secure election ever. But the problem is then that's not holding anybody accountable for not actually allowing it to be truly secure. That's saying that it was like there was not a pro- really that big of a problem. You're exactly right. And and this is where I deeper. have 
Exactly. And this is where I have to agree with Ryan. And I think with what you're saying as well, Jenny, which is the way that we skate in on the narrative and try to pull it back is with Lindsey Graham calling a secretary of state and asking for votes to be tossed. That's a crime. That's not okay. That's not an action that we should just collectively shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, well hope he doesn't do it again. Yes, I think was as well. I mean, I agree we shouldn't, but the problem is the Democrats, we don't have a Democratic, like a state-run media like, like Trump and the GOP do. <laughs> I mean, you know, we don't have we don't have our Fox News. They can say that we do, but it's not the same. We don't have an attack machine the same way. Um, yes, I'm sure there are biases. I'm not a fan. Actually, I rarely even watch cable news anymore because I think it's it goes too easy. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually think that even the supposedly you know blue leaning blue biased media is is too way too easy on the GOP They're, and. I almost can't even watch it. I almost can't even watch Rachel because she won't discuss these election security issues in any depth, and it drives me crazy. Yep. It's sort of like them blocking the SAFE Act. What Lindsey Graham did, we should be digging into his business every single night on the news and digging into that and investigating it and poking on it and having reporters there asking about it. Who else has he called? And whatever. <laughs> but no, we don't have that. So it's not going to happen. I mean, it'll, it's... It's the one and done news cycle from the left, which cannot compete with the Fox News. And now, you know, they've gone even wackier with own and um, is it Newsmax. I can't even. Yeah. And now they're going to have Trump media. You know, they've got their Trump media on people's cell phones. I mean, how do we compete with that? We don't have that. You're exactly you right. And me and we don't have the money. And it, yeah, it can be it can feel very overwhelming. But yes, I, I mean, I don't I just I agree with the concept. I do. But I don't think it's going to go as far as I would as any of us would like. Well, so I do and have I think the crimes may go further. That's the thing is we need yeah. to be investigating. I think ES and S, quite frankly, and um, and I don't see it happening. I agree with you. And I think that we should go further. I think that not going far enough is one of the Crimes that we're guilty of as a party. And the other thing I wanted to do, just just to give us all a little bit of hope, just a tiny bit, <laughs> is mm-hmm. to let you know um, why we're on a new software and why everything is different. It's because we've joined with the United Progressive Platform, who is actually looking to educate the public and take back the narrative. We're super excited about that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Congratulations. Well, thank you. We were tired of not having an outlet, like what you just very, very plainly stated. So this is something that is building, and we hope that, like we have in the past, we welcome you to the show as a friend, and we hope that you'll be kind. Thank you. I'd be happy to come anytime. Yes, yes. And we hope you'll be kind enough to make sure that your followers know who we are, that our followers know who you are, and we just keep educating everyone as as we tweet. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fantastic. And by the way, I mean, I don't want to say there's no hope. I, I'm actually cautiously optimistic a little bit about Georgia. It's just been this weird inverted reality. It's like Trump was so bad that he's on, almost made election officials who I had no faith in at all and who are generally vote suppressors on things like voter ID and voter purges pushing back against him. And there's, there are going to be so many eyes on this election. I would be surprised if they don't conduct a manual audit and I'm hoping that they will 
can be convinced to preserve ballot images. It's in their best interest to be able to prove this was a legitimate election, no matter which way it goes. I don't, I mean, there's going to be huge turnout. Um, I'm a little worried that we're going to actually might legitimately lose, quite frankly, because they do have stronger media um, and, and more fear mongering than I think is coming from the Democrats about how the Democrats are going to, you know, they're scaring everyone. And so all the, the base is going to be turning out for that election. Yes. And, and I hope the Democratic base is turning out for it, too. I, I don't know. I just I have this sense of foreboding, but it's not exactly about cheating. Which is refreshing. Yes. So, yes. Uh, we just need a really big get out the vote. A huge, huge get out the vote. And, and then demand definitely keep keep the calls up for the manual audits and ballot images. Yes. And I want, Jenny, I want for you to use this time to tell everybody about those vote tapes, because that is going to be, from what you're saying, key in this uh, special election and runoff as well. Yes, it, it's, I, it can be. So what happens, e- even if you have paperless machines, so Georgia used until a few years ago, its machines were, there was nothing for voters to review, no paper that could be used in an audit to confirm electronic results. And so the court, in response to litigation started by the Coalition for Good Gov- Governance, that's Maryland Marxist group, got those machines, held that those machines were unconstitutional and ordered Georgia to replace them. Everyone expected them to replace them with ESNS, by the way, because that was the vendor that had taken over the Diebold contracts, which is what Georgia had before. But there was a lot of bad headlines for ESNS, including vanishing black votes in the midterms, etc. So they went with Dominion. And um, your question again was, was what? Uh, sorry, it was about the vote tapes. You had a oh yeah 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 yeah. Okay, so even with those, even with those paperless machines, part of part of the way that they were able to figure out that there was a problem with vanishing black votes had to do with these poll tapes. Um, I don't know that it was most of it, but it definitely played a role in the analysis. I'm told. And what they are is after the polls close, all voting machines, paperless or like or the new ones, the new ones have this too print out a to- the totals from each machine for each race. And now those totals could be fraudulent, I have to say. That's the bad news. But the good news is a lot of people suspect that if tampering occurs or were to occur, it would be done via the central county system, which compiles all of the precinct results together. So somebody would, you know, kind of, because you can do things centrally from that central tabulator, it's easier probably if you're going to manipulate an election to do it that way. And so what you want to do is make sure that those precinct tapes, the totals on those, they're called tapes, they like look like long cash register receipts, that those match what comes out of the county central tabulator for that precinct. So the reported results from the county for the same precinct where you actually got the tape at the precinct. And so our group, protectourvotes.com, and several other groups have been have had volunteers, we did this for the general, around the country go and photograph precinct totals and now we are comparing them to reported results. And it can play a huge, it, it can be very helpful, I think. That was how in Memphis they discovered vanishing black votes. I will say, I, I don't think we've really found any discrepancies so far, but I mean, which I guess is good. Um, but we didn't necessarily have people in the places, we didn't strategically place our photographers because it was sort of a new project and we just were happy to get photographers to go even in wherever they wanted, wherever they lived to go to their own precincts, just to get it, to try it in the future. I think you want to, we want to try to target 
um, counties or precincts where there have been anomalies in the past. I mean, you tend to find sort of problem counties everywhere and, and make sure that we have those covered so that we can look at those and see if they match. But anyway, that's what it, that's what poll tapes are. And they can be very helpful. Jenny, I don't have audits. Absolutely. I want you to tell people how to find you because not only, not only are you giving us more information every day that is useful in all elections, but you're also working with, and I, you know, spoiler alert, I'm part of this team. You're also working with a team that is looking at data and is finding we, we won't say anything proven yet, but we will say that there are some flags and we'll leave it at that. Right. Yes. It's very, it's, I'm so glad that, I mean, most of you guys are doing much more of a legwork on that than I am, but I'm really glad to be um, privy to it. So yes, you can find me on Twitter is usually the easiest way at Jenny Cohn one, J E N N Y C O H N one. And I have a lot of published articles. So there is a link on my Twitter profile to a medium page that lists all of, they're not just medium articles, but there are those too, but it also lists a lot of my published works. It has got six months out of date and I have a lot of stuff in the last six months, but, but it still includes a ton of content. So that would be probably the easiest way. And then our website is protectourvotes.com. And if people want to take to, to help with um, taking photos or analyzing them or having to do it manually, our software did not work to try to do, get a software program to compare for us. So we need volunteers. I'm so glad that you said that. And what we're going to do, go ahead and pin that protectourvotes.com to the episode so that everybody can go there um, and volunteer and be part of a win in Georgia. We're winning. Yes, that, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah, I, it's absolutely doable. Absolutely. Jenny, I can't thank you enough. I always feel blessed to know someone like you who can, in fact, answer the burning questions in all of our minds um, and, and frankly, give us the tools for our next righteous battle. And that battle is election security, because until that happens, you guys, we're not going to get the changes that we want in any way, shape or form. We need to make sure that our elections are safe secure, and the people that are elected are the people that we voted for. Absolutely. You said that very well. (laughs) Thanks so much, Jenny. I'm not as good as you, but I appreciate that. (laughs) John Ossoff has dedicated his career to fighting injustice. He learned about public service from one of my lifelong heroes, John Lewis. He knows we need a new Voting Rights Act that makes sure every Georgian is treated equally under the law. John's wife, Alicia, is a doctor. He's going to listen to the experts to get this pandemic under control. If we vote like our lives depend on it because they do, we will elect John Ossoff to the United States Senate. I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message. Hi, I'm Erin, a co-host at A Plan for That podcast. I am a recently activated lightning bolt of energy who demands progressive change. I won't back down, and I bring the crowd with me. That was so helpful. I am so glad that Ryan and I were able to talk with Jenny Cohn and to get much needed information about how to move forward and how to protect our Georgia elections. Paper ballots, guys. Paper ballots. I can't wait until our next episode, which is a very big person coming to see us. It's our friend, Pam Keith, and she has a message for progressives. We can't wait to talk to her, and I know you'll love what she has to say. Check you later. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, we thank you so much for listening. If you really want to see where the next podcast is coming from, where this goes, where the next fight is, go to twitter.com slash plan for that pod. That's plan for that pod, or like and subscribe to the podcast here. You're going to get all of your, all of our news on Twitter. You're going to get all of our notes. You're going to be able to interact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, interact with the show, and really become a part of that army of progressives. We really want to see you there. We really want you in this fight. So please like and subscribe and follow us on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.